Welcome to the Basin Church Podcast. And as a church, our mission is to bring hope and wholeness through Jesus Christ. And no matter where you are and as you listen today, we hope that you find hope in Jesus and even move one step closer to being made whole. Let's go back to 2020. No one wants to remember 2020. I totally get it. Um, But 2020, as you remember, was this big shift. And a big shift that nobody really liked, wanted. Uh, but you go back, and, and I looked back at all the change that happened from going to more virtual stuff to people going remote to one of my biggest things was losing sports for a year. And uh, I remember uh, just that whole year, I remember talking to some of my friends and some people that close to me, and it's like, you learn throughout that whole year like we wanted to fast forward that year but through that year you really learn what is your priority right what you can live with and what you can't live with and how you can live and how you can't live and and so we're we're going through it and I say just saying through that year I said you know I don't really miss sports I mean I I haven't had it for so long I don't really miss it now now that it's back it's just you know what it is for me it's just that competitiveness it's that sense of escape from kind of the world you know how people go to movies and they they get out of this real world and they escape that was kind of the escape for me and so now you know you you watch it and they they tried to even in the midst of 2020 you know they tried to lay down all these procedures and all this uh things for these athletes to play you know they did it in walt disney world for the nba championship they did it in texas for the world series and they, they tried to adjust in all this but you really get to find out what was important what you can live with and what you can't live without and so uh, going through that, you think about these things, do you know, talking about things you can't live without, you can go, believe it or not, you can go 40 days without food, 40 days without food and be okay. You can go four days without water, then you need water, okay? And you can go four minutes without air, believe it or not. Surprising. You're like, no, I can't. No, there's people who have gone four minutes without air and still have lived, but the one thing that some people say is this, is that you can only go four seconds without hope. And they talk about that hope is the, the biggest thing that holds us together. And, and hope is the one thing that gets us through um, our challenging times. It's the one thing that helps you deal with it. And it's the one thing that helps you cope with certain things. And, and when you have hope, it's easier to face life circumstances than without hope. And it's, it's, it's hope that where we come to a place that sometimes it gives us enthusiasm for the future. And hope also helps us survive the next day. And sometimes it even helps us survive life. But really when you're talking about hope is, is this place where there are times if you don't have this hope and you're going through a tough circumstance or situation, you're more likely to not get through it. If you don't have hope, you're less likely to get through your situation than someone who does have hope. I mean, think about when someone is, is, you know, in the midst of their health crisis. If they don't have any hope, they're more likely to go quicker than they would normally or, or financial crisis or any crisis. But as you, as you think about this, the thing is, is you, if you have hope, there are people who have hope and they wake up each and every day and they go, okay, the challenge and the day is coming and I can take this on. Because I know that I can get through this. That whatever's going to come my way, I can get through this. Now, a lot of us maybe are not at that place. 
A lot of us maybe aren't at that place where there's these challenging times and we look and we go, okay, I have hope and I can get through this. Maybe you're at a place where it's like, oh, I, I don't have anything and what's going on in my life right now is challenging and I don't know how to cope and I don't know how to deal with what's happening. But there's other times where, where we can just go and we can face it. And for most of us, it is a challenging time. But when there's times when you're at a difficult, dark place. And the, and the thing is, is in that place, where what is needed is hope. And so for some of us, we're, we're at this place that, that when you say no hope, no hope equates to a deep, dark place. Now, we, we've been there and, and we, we have anxiety, we have stress, we have all this fear, we have all these emotions coming up when we have no hope. And we would say that I'm just in a dark, dark place. And you could say it from a relationship, you could say it from your work, you, anything that happens in life, you can say, I'm just in a dark place. And so what happens is we have this definition, and our definition of our dark place is it's a place where we are defeated. And if we're defeated, then we don't have the strength to carry on or to move forward. So at this place, you're defeated. But if you look in the course of history, as a nation, as a world, people were defeated all the time. People were in a dark place in time in history. I mean, you just go back to the 19, late 1920s to the early 30s. When America's hit with the Great Depression and everyone had no hope. You talk about no hope. You have no jobs. You have no house. You have nothing. Everything crashes and these people are in lines trying to get bread, trying to get soup, just get food, trying to make it throughout their day. Then if you go even more, right, we have World War. People talk about, talk about no hope. Like you got, you got, you got Germany kind of just doing their thing and, and destroying a whole nation of people. And then you, you'd even talk even further. We've even got further into the times where, where there's genocide that happens. And, and it's just deep, dark times in, in, in our time of history. And even if you go back to 2008, when we're hitting that recession, it seems like there was no hope then. And so anytime a, a, a candidate comes up and he's, he's a, a leader uh, emerges out of these dark times, what do they do? They speak hope and they speak blessing. They speak something that's going to happen. And whether you're a presidential candidate or you're an international leader, what they try to do is tell the people what they want to hear, and that is hope. Because if they have hope and they can bring change, then people are going to buy into what you're doing. And so 2008, that's what, what they did. And, and the president, you know, uh, the, the candidates would say, okay, we need to change things and we need to bring hope. And, because right now America is in a deep, dark place and they're a deep, dark recession. And so we have all this, but... You have this in history, but come on, let's be honest. We have it in our lives on a daily basis. That it's just not on a national level and it's just not on an international level, but there's just times where we have deep, dark places and we're at this place where we can't go any further. And we can't cope and we can't deal and we can't handle it. And so what happens is it's not the fact that we're going to hit, hit these dark places and these hard circumstances the reality and the question is this, is how are you going to deal with it? Because for some of us, when we get in that, that place of hopelessness, what we do is our emotions take over. What we feel, what we say, what we do, how we respond takes over. And for some of, you, some of us, we get in a deep, dark place, and there are people who are so depressed, they don't even want to get out of the bed in the morning. There are some people who have said, you know what, I don't even know if it's worth living because of how bad their situation is. So they have their emotions and their feelings and they just can't go on. 
And so what do we do and, and how do they, they cope and how do they deal with this circumstance and these dark places that they're hitting and how do we manage to pick ourselves up and, and go throughout the day? How do we pick ourselves up and try to work through the situation? See, I think we, the question is, is where do we find hope? And people sometimes find hope in, in political candidates. They find hope in other places. But the reality is we need to find hope in Jesus. And that's really where, where we find our hope in. Because if you don't have your hope in Jesus, here's what we tend to do. We tend to think that we can make our way out of our own situation. That we can do it. Like even though I'm, I, I'm depressed or even though I'm stressed out or even th- this thing's going on, that I can do it. I can, you know, tie up my shoes, put my pants one leg at a time, go out, and I can handle it on my own. But it only finds us to a place where it doesn't get any better. So the, the thing is, is this, if you're in a deep, dark place, if you're in that place where you have no hope, here's the thing, you're not the only one. Not the only one. As a matter of fact, you're talking about Israel, and if you look at Israel, they're in a, in a crucial deep, dark place, in a difficult place. It was a place where they are ruled by a, a, an evil king. They are in sin. And it's a great dark time. And this time is because they're in the, the Judah, which is the bottom half of Israel. And the king is called Ahaz. And we talked about him last week. And again, the two alliances up north are trying to, Israel and Aram, are trying to take him out. Right? So you have a leader who's scared. You have a leader who's living in sin. And it's not a good time in the place of Israel's history. So what happens is, is God says, well, Isaiah, you're my prophet. You're my mouthpiece. I want you to go speak to this guy. And so you got this guy pacing. And we said last week, he's sitting there looking at the water, trying to figure out how much water do I have? If, the, if there's a war, how long can we survive? And he's just stressed out and he's worried and he's fearful. And Isaiah comes to him and says, what are you worried about? You're in this deep, dark state and the nation is just kind of crazy, fearful, and they're worried and what are you worried about? He says, I want you to see the way God sees. And he says, see those, those kingdoms over there, they're, they're nothing. He said they were firewood that was just smoldering. And if you know smoldering fire, it just kind of gets put out. He says, I want you to see it. And he even says this to King. He says, King, why don't you ask God for a sign? I mean, can you imagine asking that? You're in a deep, dark place. You're a guy who has no relationship with God. And he says, why don't you ask God for a sign? And of course, the king says, no, I'm not going to ask God for a sign. It's not that he's religious or, or anything like that. It's just he already made his mind up. So what does Isaiah say last week? He says, I'm going to give you a sign. Even in the midst of your dark depression and your worry and your fear and your anxiety and the nation's in uproar, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a sign. And he says this, there will be a child who will be born of a virgin and he will come and his name will be Emmanuel, God with us. So in Isaiah chapter 7, we learned that this God with us, that God would be with us, that this prophecy was, we didn't know if that was a time for the king and maybe somebody would come later, but we knew years and years, years into the future that Jesus would come and he would be called Emmanuel, God with us. And so Isaiah begins to give this, gives this great hope in the midst of despair and it was Jesus. Well, now here's what begins to take place. If you go, we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 9. And Isaiah chapter 9 gives us a little bit more insight into this anointed child. 
This, this, this child that's going to come, this child that will come, he begins to be descriptive about what he will do and what he was like. And so Isaiah chapter 9, if you have your Bibles, we're going we're gonna to look at it again. So a little bit more about this anointed child of the Lord. In Isaiah, I'm going to start in verse 1. And we're just going to kind of read down. But it says this, it says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and in the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of sea and beyond the Jordan. Now, if you begin to look at this first part of this passage, he says there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. So you obviously know that they are in a deep, dark place. And he says there will be no gloom. There will be no more. It will be a thing of the past, Isaiah would say. You're so down and you're in despair, but let me just tell you this. I'm speaking to you people. It's going to be in the past. And the reason why they were in distress and the, and the gloom and they were in distress is because of this. It's because of their choices. See, the reason why Israel was in this place of dark, darkness and deep despair and distress is because of their decisions. Their decisions that oppose God. So God is going to humble these two, these two tribes, which are in northern Israel. So he says, I'm going to basically going to humble these people. Okay. And he begins to, to say this, that, yeah, their decisions have got them to this place. So now I am disciplining them for their disobedience. There's always cause and effect with the Lord. Always. If you disobey, there's always consequences. And for these people, God would begin to humble them. Now, then he begins to foreshadow a couple things. And the first thing he begins to foreshadow and talk in the future is this, is he says that in 732, Assyria is going to come. And, you know, he says, come on, those, those group up in northern Israel, that other cities that border and those countries that border, guess what? They're, they're going to be no more. Israel will be no more because Assyria is going to come and attack them. Now, with foreshadowing, he foreshadows something else, but I don't know if you've ever, ever seen this, if you've ever seen a Disney movie or have seen a Pixar movie. But Disney and Pixar have, have a couple of things that they like to do, and, and what they tend to do is in their movies, current movies, they bring an old character into the movie. So if they do an older movie, they kind of bring in the past into the future. And so it's called, it's called Easter eggs. And I don't know if you've ever seen this, but I've got a couple on here that I recognize. And I first recognize this. And, and if you look at, uh, maybe you've never seen Aladdin, but Aladdin, you can go ahead and show it, Luke, there. In Aladdin, there's a character that's from The Little Mermaid. Okay, so Aladdin, you have the genie, and Sebastian's the crab, and they always bring somebody back into the movie, right, from the past. And then I was, I was looking at this, I really recognized it when I was watching Frozen. Because I saw Rapunzel a couple years before, and I noticed that Rapunzel was in Frozen. As I was in the movie theater, I thought, oh my gosh, it's hard to see there. But I'm like, that's Rapunzel. She has her, her hair chopped off, right? And I thought, okay, well, she's into this movie. And if you look at Disney, they continue to go through movies. You can continue to go, Luke. They've got, they've got you can't really see it, but at the bottom there, there's Aladdin's lamp in Moana. So they bring Aladdin back to Moana. Another thing they tend to do is one more is they bring, um, what was it? Oh, yes. Have you ever seen Chicken Little? Okay, chi now, what movie do you think this is? You can't barely see it. I don't, can, can't even see it. What a terrible. There, okay, there you can see it, okay? What movie are you thinking that is? Lion King. But it gives it a, it, it, this is funny because Chicken Little starts off with Lion King 
intro to Lion King and gives it a nod to Lion King. It's like, oh, you know, and he's got the, the sunset and it's like, oh, no, 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 wrong story. Right. But the reason why I tell you this, and you're thinking, well, why is he telling us this? Because that's a picture of Isaiah and how, what, how he's going to write. But he doesn't take something back from the past to the future. He actually brings the future into the past. So how Disney would take like a movie from the past into their future movie, Isaiah talks about the future and brings it into the present. So here's what he says, and he continues going on because he talks about, if you go back to verse 1, he says this, that in the future they will honor Galilee of the nations. Now what he is saying is this, that Isaiah begins, I'm dropping something in the present that's going to be in your future. So he says, hey, pay attention. This Galilee, you want to circle? This is a big thing, people. And what he would say is, is Galilee will be a, a place where Jesus is going to start the beginning of his ministry and where he will, he will be, uh, be placed. And, and so he begins the beginning of Jesus' life, the beginning of his ministry will happen in Galilee. And he says this, that it will be a place of honor. That when Jesus is in Galilee and he's ministering and doing his healing ministry and he's, he's, he's up in that area in the northern part of Israel, he says, look, that will be a place where Jesus will be honored. So he says this Messiah, this child who will be born years ago, goes into the future, brings it back to the present and says, even though Galilee is in this, in this place of despair, right? That even though it's in a place where it's going to be invaded, that Jesus will be there, he will be honored and that he will begin his ministry. So again, he reaches to the future, brings it back, and, and then he begins this. And then he says this in verse 2. So he kind of gives it a little bit about Jesus' upbringing, early ministry in Galilee. And then he switches gears a little bit, and he says this. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And those who are living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. So he says this, even though that they would be humbled, even though that there would be an invasion years ago, and Isaiah is saying, in the future, it's going to be invaded and taken over. And even though that's going to take place, there will be a time when the presence of the Messiah overshadows that. And the Messiah will bring peace. And that people who are in darkness will see light. When they're in deep despair, they will see the light of this Messiah. They'll begin to see exactly what has happened. And he says this, it is a time coming that when he comes, that they will not walk in this darkness. And he, and he begins to say that, he, he would, that they would prevail and that battle gear will not be needed. So in the time when this Messiah shows up, not only will the darkness be gone because he'll bring light, but there will be no wartime. There will be peace because of who he is. So you can put your weapons away. You can put your, 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 all your stuff away, anything for an army. You can put it away because there will be no wartime. So he begins to say this in verse 2, and then again he continues on and tells us a little bit more about this child and, and, and the virgin. He says this, he says, you have enlarged the nation and you have increased their joy. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice by dividing the plunder. So you here probably refers to God the Father who will lead the people out of spiritual darkness and the light again by sending the child, the Messiah. But then he says this, that they will rejoice like in a time of harvest, where you're not rejoicing and you've lost your joy and you've lost your hope, it'll be a time like it is for the harvest. And what he means by that is, is when you plant a seed and you see that thing grow 
and, and then finally comes to a time where you get to harvest all your crops, the people are happy. They're rejoicing. Like their little seed that has grown into this crop that will now supply food for them. At harvest time, it was a joyful time for them. And he says, that will be exactly what will happen. That when the Messiah comes, you'll have joy like no other, like joy you have at harvest time. And then he says, you'll have joy like warriors who divide plunder. Right? When a warrior goes in and he attacks and he, he's victorious over the battle, what do they do? They take the, the plunder. They take everything they have, their cattle, their, their money, their, their, everything they can get their hand on. And so he says, you'll be rejoicing and you'll be happy as if a warrior is dividing the plunder of being victorious. And then he continues laying it out even further in verse uh, 4. He says this, For as the day of Midian's defeat... You have shattered a yoke that burdens the bar. Across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. He says the defeat that he mentioned here will be a supernatural work of God. And it would be such a supernatural work, it would be like one that Gideon experienced over the Midianites. See, because Gideon had less men, and there's no way Gideon should have beat the Midianites. But it was a supernatural work of God because I'm telling you what, if someone said, hey, here's how I want you to win battle. I want you to surround the army and I want you to take a clay pot and a torch, throw it on the clay pot and blow your horn and say, for the, for the Lord and for Gideon and you'll win a battle, you'd be go, you're crazy. But that's how Gideon won the battle. He took a torch and a horn, did the, threw, the, threw the clay pot down and blew the horn and said, a sword for the Lord and a sword for Gideon. And they got so confused that they killed themselves. See, it was a supernatural act of God. And he says, this will be a supernatural act of God in in this place. That again, that the Messiah will come. There will be no use for war. That there's a burden on your back, but that burden will be removed when the Messiah comes. When this child, this anointed child of the Lord comes, this will take place. You will no longer be oppressed, but you will be free. And he says, because of that, you will have joy. Joy like the harvest and joy like in wartime. And then he continues and he gives us five things about this child. Five things about the Messiah. And you've probably heard this many times. It's a famous verse. It's it's even in Handel's, Handel wrote about it. And here's what it says. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And this child that was going to be with us, he says the government will be on his shoulders. And figuratively, it refers to that he will take the kingly robes, this Messiah will take the kingly robes, he will put them on, and he will rule. And he will govern the way it's supposed to be governed. And see, some people miss this. They kind of miss this. And they think that, you know, the government will be on upon his shoulders. That Jesus would come and he would overtake and overthrow the Roman government. And that's not what he meant at all. In fact, that what he would do is the Messiah would claim all authority that was granted to him. That he would take back the authority that he, he needed, that, he, he, that was rightfully his, so to speak. What I mean by that is he will receive the kingdom of earth or from 
God. See, from the people who have misused it, from the people who mistrusted it, he will begin to take authority back. See, here's what happened when, when God created Adam and Eve. Guess who he gave the authority to? Adam and Eve. And then when the enemy deceived him, he took it. Well, Jesus says, well, wait a second, we're going to get that back. Now, I'm going to get rightfully back what is mine. I'm going to seize authority back on this earth. I'm going to seize authority and, and take back what is rightfully mine. I am the heir to all things. Says Jesus is the heir to all things. So he's going to come back. The government will be on his shoulders, and this Messiah is going to take back authority. And how does he do that? By the death and resurrection of him. That's how he takes authority back. So he's going to take back rightfully what is his and what has been misused and mistrusted in, the, in, in humans. Right? So he begins to take the authority back on earth. And in beginning on this, it says he will be. Right? He will be that the government will be on his shoulders. Then he says this. He says he'll be a wonderful counselor. Now, when you think of counselor, many of us think, well, man, I don't want to think of God as a wonderful counselor because when I think of a counselor, I'm in trouble. When I'm a counselor, then I, I got problems. And if I go to counseling, then everybody knows I have problems. Well, you don't have to go to counseling to know that we all have problems. We all have problems. And, but here's counselor is completely different in this context because a counselor in those days was someone who was close to the king. A counselor was one who would give wise advice to the king. The counselor was authoritative. The counselor everyone knew. He was well-known among the common people. And the counselor was one who would plan and help decide things with the king. That's what the counselor did. It wasn't, hey, come tell me your problems and I'll write a prescription for you and, and tell you three things and we'll go on your day. No, it was somebody who was authoritative and had wisdom and insight for the king. So he says, wonderful counselor, he says that's exactly what will happen, that people will gladly listen to him because he will be the authoritative one. That when he says a wonderful counselor, that people will listen to his authority. That when this child comes, he will have authority and people will listen because he has authority. And how many times did people look at Jesus and go, there's something different about you? And he says, I don't work on authority. Everything I see, I, I, I do, right, from my father. I see my heavenly father at work. I am in him, and, and we just and, and it's through that power that I work. There was something different about Jesus, and he walked in this authority. So he's, he begins to do this, and then he says this. If you go back to it, it says, next is mighty king, or excuse me, mighty God. And when you think of mighty, you think of strength. And that's exactly what he's talking about, and that's exactly what he's emphasizing here. Isaiah says is he is so mighty because of his strength. And Isaiah touches a lot of times on God and his strength and who he is. But basically he's saying what you and I already know and what the people in um, this time, the, the Israelites needed to know. That God can do anything more than anyone. When he says mighty God, God can do anything. And he was trying to say that this Messiah, this child, would be able to have power and authority and be able to do anything that you can think of. He is different than anyone else. And mighty God, and he, he, is, he is God, so he says that he will be able to do what no one else is able to do. Then he says this, he says, everlasting father. And he will be called everlasting father. Now you're thinking, what in the world? Everlasting Father. How can Jesus the Son be everlasting Father? Well, here's the thing about it, about God. God 
is who he is, but he's distinctively three separate people. You got God the Father, God the Son, Holy Spirit. If you are three and you're still unified, you're still part of one, He, Jesus has all the characteristics of God because he is God. So if he has all the characteristics of God, then what they're talking about is when he says he's everlasting father, he's not, they're not talking Jesus' relationship to the Trinity. He's not talking about that. He's talking about Jesus' relation as to time, that he's eternal, right? And eternity, that he's the everlasting father, that he goes on forever. And so when he talks about Jesus, it has nothing to do with in relation to God the Father. It is relationship to the time and, and, and so forth. And so it means that he'll be everlasting. Go on. And even it says this, that he is one that would um, be the, maybe even the possessor or the originator of eternity. So this child is going to be a wonderful counselor. He's going to have authority. He's going to be God. He's going to be a mighty God. He's going to have power. And he, believe it or not, he's eternal. And then he would say this, that he's the Prince of Peace. And this refers to his nature of his rule. That when he's the Prince of Peace, here's the thing, his rule will be marked when warfare will end and he will bring wholeness to society. Warfare will end and he'll bring wholeness to society as a prince of peace. And as the prince of peace, he will begin to do this. He, and, and this is included in the whole word, excuse me, the Hebrew word that's translated peace. It's talking about his reign will be peaceful. Because believe it or not, when Jesus comes back, there will be a new heaven, there will be a new earth. And it says this in Revelation that he will rule for a thousand years. And during those thousand years, it will be peaceful on this new heaven and this new earth. So as a prince of peace, he'll establish there will be no war. He'll establish wholeness to society. And then during the millennium, he will begin to reign and it will be peaceful for a thousand years. And then he summarizes it all. He wraps it all up, Isaiah, in verse 7. He says, of the greatness of, this, of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne. Again, he will go through the line and the lineage of David. So you will know the Messiah because he will be through the line of, uh, of David. He says he will rule and reign on his throne and over his kingdom. He establishes or establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from a time on and forever. He would be a ruler from David he would have an expanding government that would never end and would be characterized by what? Justice and righteousness. Right living. And it will go on forever. And following this, this rule and, and rule into eternity, that he will rule under God's righteousness and God's demands. And when you look at this child, you see this, see, the child won't be just a ruler that will rule with justice and virtue. This, this child will be a ruler that will what? Be everlasting father, wonderful counselor, mighty God, and prince of peace. And he'll, and he'll be authoritative in all of this. And when you look at what Isaiah had said in the context of what Isaiah says, he's beginning to say this in a deep, dark time. These people are in sin. These people have a leader who not, or not, a leader and a king who is not doing what God wants them to do. 
And yet Isaiah comes when they're in a deep, dark place and they have no hope and they're in despair and they're concerned about the the two armies coming down and taking them over. And he says, wait a second, let me give you some hope. Let me grab something from the future. And it's this child. And let me tell you what he's all about. Because here's your hope. You can look forward to this. And the hope was Jesus. And what Isaiah would begin to say to all this, because when he says Emmanuel, God with us, it is completely opposite of how the people felt. God's not with us? Are you kidding me? But he sent Jesus and, and, and all of this. Jesus would bring light during a dark time. That you think it's dark now, he says this Messiah, this child, will bring light in a dark time. There's your promise, and there's your hope. And even though these Israelites, and, and they knew exactly what he was saying, and even though uh, you know we get what you're, you're giving us, and you're giving us a sign, and you're giving us hope, they, guess what? It didn't change. Because days went on to weeks, weeks went to months, months went to year. After year, after year, after year. And you're thinking, well, wait a second. You told us this would happen, and we've seen Assyria come, and they've attacked the, the top of the country, of the kingdom of Israel, and it's still nothing. And still nothing. And, and, and generation after generation, they cling to the promise of Isaiah, and nothing gets better. Do you know in between the last time Malachi speaks in the Old Testament to when John the Baptist shows up on scene that God does not speak for 400 years? Imagine that. A God who speaks in uh, years ago and says, you'll have a promise, and 400 years go by. And I'm telling you, if you're the Israelites, you're thinking there's no way. You're talking about deep, dark, depressing days. Try imagine this 400 years where God's not even doing anything. But he is doing something in those 400 years. He's not speaking to his people. But there will be one day when he begins to bring out that promise, and that one day that, that son, born of a virgin, would be born to bring light to a dark world. And perhaps you know this about light. Light overcomes darkness. And when Jesus was born, he would overcome darkness. And you know every time when you go into your room and you can't find anything and you put your flashlight on on your little phone, you know that a little light can dispel the darkness. You know like lighting a little flame in a room can dispel darkness. You can begin to see it. It illuminates. And so perhaps you're here today, and when you talk about this, you need Jesus to push back the darkness in your life. That maybe you feel like you're in this dark place, and the darkness is coming in, and you need Jesus to illuminate. You need him to bring light to your dark situation. You need him to bring hope to your situation. I don't care if you walk with Jesus for, for many years. There are places that we as, as followers of Jesus, we get in places of despair like the Israelites. And there are times where we think we can't go on anymore. And today Jesus wants to bring hope and he wants to bring light to your situation. And maybe today for you, you need Jesus to show up in one of those four areas. You need him to be the wonderful counselor. Maybe today you're in a fork in the road and you don't know where to go and you don't know what you need to do with your life, but you know you're in a mess. And you're in this difficult situation and you're going, I need some wisdom and I need some guidance. And you're going everywhere else but to the wonderful counselor who decides and can give you wisdom the way he gave king wisdom. 
And the wisdom that you need is wisdom from on high. You need to go to God and say, I need your wisdom, Lord. I need, I need a situation here. I'm in a mess, and I need wisdom on how to get out. And ask, maybe for you, it's asking the wonderful counselor, would you give me wisdom? Would you help guide and direct my life? Could you illuminate my path so I know where to go? And maybe for you, that's, that's what you have to ask for today, that you say, Lord, I, Jesus, I need you to be the wonderful counselor, that I need you to do this for me because I'm at this crossroad. And, and for some of you, you may need a supernatural strength. You may need to call upon the mighty God and you may have him need to show up with supernatural strength in your situation. And here's, here's why. Because for some of you, you're at a place that I was describing in the beginning. That getting up in the morning is difficult for you. Facing the day is hard for you. Dealing with your nagging kids is difficult. Navigating a situation out of a relationship or navigating something at work is very difficult for you. And maybe you've even said this, that it's just not worth it and it's not worth living. And maybe today you need the strength of the mighty God to come in and pick you up and say, yes, you can do this because I'm going to give you supernatural strength to get through your situation. But until you yield to me and until you surrender to me, I can't help you. And today, you probably need to release and say, okay, Lord, I give you, give you this, and I give you my situation, and I pray supernatural strength to get me through. Because Monday's coming. It comes every time on the same week, same time. And maybe you just need to get through this week, and the Lord's saying, I will help you. And you need to call out and say, Lord, I need supernatural strength. But here's the thing, it doesn't stop there. Mighty God doesn't stop there. See, mighty God is, is one who can do anything in any situation. Now, when I was a child and growing up in church, I've never forgotten this song, and I don't know why, but we used to sing a song about mighty God, right? My God is so great, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do for you. Okay, and we haven't had hand motions, right? You do mighty, and he's strong. There's nothing my God cannot do for you. And we have emotions. Then see, when I was a kid, look, I was like eight. I'm 45 now. Never forgotten the song. But the thing is, as I haven't forgotten the song, as a child, you're like, yeah, God can do anything. Like, you're like, yeah. And then when you get an adult, you're like, can he? Can he? See, there's something when you're a child and you have the childlike faith, and then when you get to adult, you're just you have this doubt. Is God really going to show up? Is he really as mighty as we talk about? Is he really as mighty as we sing about? And see, for you today, this mighty God, maybe you have this doubt, but maybe you need to press into this mighty God and say, I need strength. See, maybe your health might be shaky. Maybe there might be someone you know whose health is shaky. Maybe you're having problems at work. Maybe you're having problems with your kids and their rebellion. Maybe you're having marital problems. I don't know what it is, but here's what I know, that there's nothing too difficult for my God. And if you call upon the mighty God, he can work and will in every situation. And for some of you today, and just like me, we need the supernatural strength and supernatural power of this mighty God that is available to all of us. And let's go a little bit more. 
So you call out to the mighty God. Maybe you need wisdom in a situation, but the other thing you might need is peace. And today you may need peace in your situation because for some of you, there is no peace. And you come to church and you put on a smile and you say, everything's good. Hey, how you doing? Okay, I'm good. When in fact, you're not good. When in fact, you're, you're, you're having relationship problems, you're having problems at work, you're having financial situation. There's things going on and it's Christmas time and, and you're supposed to have peace. It's the most wonderful time of the year and you don't feel like it's the most wonderful time of the year. And your kids are just kind of going sideways and, and you're having issues with your spouse and, or with your parents or your, or your nieces and nephews, whatever it is, and there's problems relationally, there's problems financially, there's problems all over the place, and you're going, how do I do this? And this is how you do it. You invite the Prince of Peace into your home. You invite the Prince of Peace into your relationship. You invite the Prince of Peace into your marriage. You invite the Prince of Peace in your workplace. He's the Prince of Peace. God wants to establish peace in your life. Where there's unrest, He wants to bring peace. That's what He does. And so maybe today in your situation you say, okay, God, here's what I need you to do. I need peace in my marriage. I need peace in my relationships at work. I need peace in my finances. I need peace with my kids. I need peace with my parents. I need to talk to my dad. and Whatever it is for you. I have no idea. But I do know we need, need peace. And here's what I want you to do. I don't even, I want you to go a step further. You can pray for peace, but I want you to establish or pray for the kingdom of God to be established in your, in whatever is going on. Because here's what the scripture says that if you establish the kingdom of God, you establish the will of God. The kingdom of God and the will of God go hand in hand. And there's many times where I do that. That when I'm praying somewhere, I'm praying in my house, I say, I, I establish the kingdom of God and I establish the will of God. And where the, where the kingdom is, the will will happen. And here's how, how I know this, that God wants to establish peace in your situation. Because here's what you have to understand. God wants peace to have you live in peace. Look, God's will is that your kids would not rebel. God's will is that your marriage is not on the rocks. God's will is that you're going to work and you're being the salt and the light and that you're getting along with people. That's what his will is. That's what he wants for you. So if you ask for the will of God, you ask for the prince. His will is going to line up with Scripture. His will is going to line up exactly what he says. And it says what? The enemy's here to kill, steal, and destroy. To destroy your witness, to steal your relationships and ultimately kill your witness. And that's not what God wants for your life. And so maybe you're here, you need, you need the Prince of Peace to be established in your home. And so I just say that you would do, just ask and do that today. See, and the great thing is, is when you look at the, the, the Gospel of Matthew, as I wrap it up here, when you look at the first part of Matthew, Matthew kind of talks about Isaiah. And he talks about what he said. But if you look in the first chapter and the second chapter of Matthew, you begin to see the journey of the Magi, the wise men, following the star. And here's the interesting thing. When they bring gifts to this child that is born, they're not bringing gifts just to a child. They're bringing gifts to a king. Not to a child, but a king. A king who has authority, a king who has power. 
That's who they're bringing their gifts to. And see, he is, a, he, is, he is a God, and it goes beyond, Jesus goes beyond just saving people from, from hell. He's a king. Then it says this, that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. He's king. But until that day, we're going to go through life with challenges and how to cope through this. Then what we need to do is invite the Prince of Peace into our lives. Invite the peace and the mighty God's strength and the wisdom of the wonderful Counselor to get us through this time. Because Jesus just didn't come during that time. He came to bring light during that dark time, but He also came to bring light to you in your dark time. Thanks for listening. And if you would like more information on our church or you'd like to visit us in person, you go to basinchurch.org. And as always, we hope this content helps you on your faith journey.